So which would you rather do? Would you rather speak to hundreds of people or would you rather host a few people over at your house? How many people would rather speak in front of hundreds of people? Okay, there's a couple. You come on up. You can do it today for me. How many would rather actually host a few people? Okay. And both of you are like, I don't want to do either of those, right? Why are you pitting me just the two options today? I think there's lots of us that um, maybe at one time would, would actually definitely, out of fear of speaking for people, would definitely have just a few people over and to welcome them into their homes. But things have changed certainly during the pandemic. And if that's you, you are not alone. Listen to this one woman named Terry, and I quote her. She says, I realized that Mandisa, Mandisa is a, a Christian singer, Christian artist, didn't write the song Overcomer with me in mind, but truly I am an overcomer when it comes to having a fear of hospitality. I used to be terrified of people stopping by my house unannounced. Anybody else like that? If we hosted someone for dinner, I would spend days getting my house clean. I would spend hours finding the perfect recipe. I prepared and I was ready, but I was still afraid. But having someone just drop by, never. This fear and dread ended one day when I had my entire dining room table covered with some random craft project. My kitchen was a mess. I was a mess. The doorbell rang and I froze. I immediately dropped to the floor, commando style, <laughs> crawled across my living room to the window to peek out the window to see who was there. Was this some stranger trying to sell me something? No, it was my good friend. But I was embarrassed and so I pretended I wasn't home. Silently waiting for her to walk away, wishing she would give up ringing the bell. I wanted to scream, just go away, I'm not home, which of course wouldn't have worked, right? <laughs> I mean, really, what on earth? How prideful to be so concerned about being perfect in her eyes. I knew it was prideful, wrong to do that, and was so mad at myself for being such a chicken. I prayed about it be because I was sincerely wanted to change. I asked God to help me overcome this fear of hospitality and forgive me for being so prideful. God was faithful. Terry writes, As an introvert, I still struggle with having people over, but it's not because of what my house looks like or whether I've combed my hair. I still struggle to find the time to have friends over, right? I think we can all relate to this. She says, I no longer dread people dropping in. It's a huge weight. Take it off my shoulders, and it's all because of God's grace. God changed me, so now I just open up my doors and say, come on in, I'm so glad you're here. And she sincerely means it. Terry has actually started a blog with the title BeLydia.org. And that, that blog is put in place so that it would help people overcome their fear of hospitality. Hospitality. I don't know if there's a term for it. Hospitality-phobia or something. Maybe we call it that today. The thing that I also love about Terry's blog is that any donations she receives are used to help stop human trafficking. Think about that. It's the antithesis of hospitality, where people aren't welcome, but they're actually enslaved 
by others. Now, today, I'm not calling you, none of us are probably calling you, you're probably not going to start a blog on hospitality. We'll leave that to Terry. But today, we are going to be encouraged to show hospitality to one another. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. And we're going to see that showing hospitality isn't just for those rural folk. You know, I have, I have roots from, from the country, small town. And I still remember my grandparents. If someone just stopped by, hey, they just made whatever was going to be there for supper. They just kind of make it extend for forever stop by. We don't often do that as much in the city, do we? So is, is hospitality just for the rural folk? No, not at all. In fact, this, this command to show hospitality to one another is part of our one another series. There's all these one another's, how we are supposed to relate to one another, our gospel skill building that we find in the New Testament. New Testament. In fact, you think about this. We've seen this a lot in the news. The hospitality industry has taken a great hit. And some of you have been in the hospitality industry, right? Hotels, transportation, all these types of things. But I think that the church of Jesus Christ can maybe make one of the greatest comebacks and our greatest hit being showing hospitality to one another. We're going to discover what hospitality is and what it isn't, and then we're going to learn some practical ways of being hospitable. So please turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles. We're going we're gonna to read this all together. This is one short, simple verse. Would you stand with me? And um, let's all read this together out of reverence for God's word. Here's the command. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That last part's the tough part, right? Without grumbling. Okay. May God help us to be able to do this as we live out his commands through the power of the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Now, just for clarity's sake, some of us might be wondering, what is hospitality? What is hospitality? Well, it comes from the ancient Greek word, which is the love of the stranger. It means philoxenia, philoxenia. And we find um, this, this concept of the love of the stranger throughout the New Testament. Now, do you and I love strangers or do we find them a little scary? Right? I don't know what to say. I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe we're scared of hospitality like we're scared of going to the hospital. Maybe at one time we're, we're not afraid of strangers, but during COVID, all of a sudden that's changed and we're a lot afraid, more afraid of people because they might affect our health or we might affect their health. However, the love for the stranger, to put it another way, the love of the outsider should be motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because think about this. At one time, we were all outside of God's family until Jesus died on a cross. All of us were outsiders. We may be were even born into the church. We came to church our whole lives. But we still needed to be born again into God's family. Each of us needs to respond to the gospel invitation ourselves. 
we heard about this, didn't we? Man, I love that. I love that testimony that Ruth and Lawrence gave us today and how they gave their lives to Christ at such a young age. Have you given your life to Christ? Have you um, declared publicly that you believe in Jesus and you maybe have come forward and, and been baptized? If you haven't, we would love to talk to you. Talk to me about this. Info at Temple Baptist Church. Those are listening online. If you'd love to talk to us further, we want you to receive Christ today. That's the greatest hospitality that is ever displayed in the universe is by God himself to you. He loves you that much. And it's out of that motivation that we should love others and show hospitality. See, God takes hospitality very seriously. Being inhospitable was one of the reasons why the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, according to the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 16, verses 49 through 50. In fact, the Bible puts hospitality so important that it requires of it, of its leaders, its elders, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Hospitality is really important. And that whole idea is welcoming the stranger. It's not just having, you know, putting on some tea or coffee. It's actually thinking about outsiders. And here's where the church may diverge from the corporate model of hosting a party so that it can build its brand and make all these business connections. When we, as church leaders and church members, we are trying to show hospitality, we're actually trying to make people family. Family. Rosaria Butterfield advocates for what she calls radical ordinary hospitality. She's written a great book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And here's what she defines hospitality as. And she calls it radical ordinary hospitality. Radically ordinary hospitality is this. Using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. It brings glory to God. It serves others. And it lives out the gospel in word and deed. In this definition, we see the goal. It's actually making strangers neighbors who actually become church family in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. We know that it's ultimately God who saves people. But we get to partner with him in this. Now I want to clarify that though we hope that every person would become a part of of God's family. We know that not everyone will, but are we still going to love them no matter what? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is why we host the mobile market and hygiene kiosks for the food bank every Thursday because we want to care for people. We want to be hospitable to people. I know that you're so hospitable in so many ways, that you're friendly to others. Let's keep doing that, Temple. See, those who live out radically ordinary hospitality actually take it one step further. They see their homes not as theirs, but actually as a God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. Your home is like a tool, just like how we've called this place, this building, a community center for Christ. It's a tool where we can help others find the truth of the gospel. 
One of my prayers today is that we would see our homes less as shelter from the elements, from the snow and the sun and all those types of things, that our homes would be less a shelter from this hostile, plague-filled world, but that our homes would be gospel meeting places. Gospel meeting places. A place where the gospel is lived out and it becomes a place of growing to be more like Jesus. Not just for your family, but for all that enters its doors. In other words, the Christian home is the place where we actually bring the church to the people. Have you ever thought of it that way? Especially during these days, days. We haven't been able to meet as much. Part of this will involve creating an atmosphere of comfort. I, I recently heard, heard a term from Dr. Linda Reed, um, some terms that really, can, really convey this concept of, of a treasured value that other cultures have of, 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 of making a home a place of, of comfort. For example, huzeleg is a favorite Dutch term, and it translates to a feeling of togetherness in a cozy, comfortable atmosphere. Another concept is what the Danish have. They call it Hugo, which is spelled H-Y-G-G-E. And it means creating a warm atmosphere and enjoying the good things in life with good people. Think of like the warm glow of a candlelight or cozying up with your loved ones for a movie. That's, that's Hugo. One, one of our um, children has a new friend and and um, this person comes over a lot. And we just want to make them feel at home. And you know what? In order to do that, we just have to be ourselves around him. That is Hugo. That's important. This past summer, my family drove out to Newfoundland for one big last family vacation before we set off our, our son to university in the States. And uh, it, was, it was wonderful to go see the beauty of Newfoundland and to hike mountains and to eat seafood and, and to enjoy some of those, those things. We even went to see where the Vikings apparently first landed almost 1,000 years ago. It was really fun. And I'm not, I'm not getting paid by tourism Newfoundland, okay, for saying all these things. At the end of the trip, we asked each other what we liked best about the trip. You know what I liked about best? It wasn't even in Newfoundland. I love best that we stopped in New Brunswick and I got to see my aunts and uncles and my cousins. We had a mini reunion. And they hadn't even been able to be together for 18 months. But we gathered together. We had hospitality. We shared our love with one another. It's worth it. It's worth it to be with each other, isn't it? See, practicing hospitality alleviates our greatest need, which is relational poverty. Our need, first of all, with not being impoverished, but actually be rich in a relationship to God and then with each other. If our first motivation for hospitality is that Christ welcomed us as an outsider, our second motivation to show hospitality is to really fight relational poverty and to love our neighbor. In fact, this is a repeated theme in Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Just turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 13. And we see, especially in the New International Version, 
and the New American Standard, it says this term when talking about hospitality. It says this. In the ESV, it says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. But in the NIV, it says, practice hospitality. That should immediately be a relief to us because hospitality is something we practice, not perfect. I mean, I'm looking out here and I see some people who are really great at hospitality, but I bet it wasn't something you were good at right away. I bet it's something you had to get better at, just like anything in life. You had to practice hospitality. And so how you do that is you, you grow in skills of thinking about the details and thinking about other people and what would make them feel loved and, and creating a warm environment in your home. And you learn things along the way. Maybe today you ask another person, maybe who's a little bit further along or somebody that you know who's good at it, and say, hey, what are some tips that you, you do to make people feel loved? Because I've always felt welcomed at your home. This is the way we grow, church. This is how we live out to one another's. It may also help us to remember what hospitality is not. Hospitality is this. It's not this. Showing hospitality isn't showing off. I'll say it again. Showing hospitality isn't showing off. It's actually showing Christ. Maybe it'd be helpful to make the distinction between trying to impress people and trying to love people. The reality is that you want your house to be a place of comfort. So yes, if there's something dangerous or really um, repulsive in your house, get rid of it. This is your time to get rid of that thing today. John's giving you an excuse, okay, to get rid of that. And I'm a, a little bit of a hoarder. Maybe there's something that would, if you're having kids over, that might become a pose of choking hazard. You need, to, you need to get rid of that or at least put it up. But having a house so neat and tidy that it doesn't look like it's ever been lived in, that may not be loving either. Rosaria Butterfield helps us. She says this, In radically ordinary hospitality, host and guests are interchangeable. If you come to my house for dinner, notice that I'm still working and helping the kids with their math lesson, and my, my laundry remains on the dining room table unfolded, you roll up your sleeves and fold my laundry. Anybody need some laundry folded today? Invite some people over. Well, that sounds radical, right? <laughs> and what about food? Keep it simple. A lot of people in different cultures eat beans and rice. That's something that our, our, our pocketbooks and our bank accounts can handle as well as, as our stomachs. In other words, this is not the time to create what could be your submission to the great Canadian baking show. especially if it's going to stress you out. If you love cooking and baking such dishes, and it's not a source of pride, then that might be an act of love. And I just want today to offer myself to come and eat any of that food that's really good. <laughs> I'm being generous today with myself, aren't I? So cleaning and cooking are portions of hospitality. Let's just deal with the reality of things. But I think maybe we emphasize that too much. I have. 
Having dishes to share may lessen the stress. I know of one couple, they just have a fire at their place, um, like a, a little fire at their place every Saturday night outside, of course, and, and people could bring food and they share. Now, of course, you have to check with your city bylaws, and, but what creative thing could you do? Talk about it as a family today at the lunch, at the lunch table that you could welcome others. I think the harder part of, of hospitality is actually carrying on the conversation, isn't it? Especially if they're truly a stranger and, and you don't know them. As I talked about last week, we live in a very divided society and culture and there's relational landmines that you're just trying to, uh, to avoid, right? Well, one of those that you may want to avoid, as people have told you before, is politics. Even though there's an election, which, by the way, go vote. If people are on a different, a different side than you are on things, we are called to love them though, right? To love our enemies. Practicing hospitality in our post-Christian world means that we develop a, maybe a thicker skin. You've heard the phrase, keep your friends close and your enemies what? Closer. Think of it like this. And Rosaria Butterfield says it. She's, it's, like, it's like when you are close to a horse. I learned this when I first went down to Kansas and um, met, met uh, Lori's family. And there's a lot of horses in that part of the country. And I learned that you don't, you, you might be afraid of a horse, but your best thing is to get close to a horse, right? So that it doesn't kick you. Get close to those who are different than you. We need to grow in this church. And we can, by practically asking questions and just listening to what falls out of people's lips, ask God, be praying as you're listening to them. Say, God, help me to make connection points. Help me to have something in common with this person. This is practically how we can ultimately share the gospel. That's how the gospel was originally um, spread. The early Christians, led by the apostles, they went from city to city, often to very hostile places as we read in the book of Acts. If you want to check this out, read the book of Acts this week. It's 28 chapters. Ruth and Lawrence can do three chapters a day. I think we could probably do quite a few, right? One, one scholar says this, the survival of early Christianity frequently depended on the exercise of Christian hospitality because in the ancient world, travelers would rely on acquaintances, friends, and relatives to provide lodging for the night, especially when inns were unsafe and, and uncomfortable. And so I think we need to take some risk again, beloved, to advance the gospel. This means having people over while keeping all of the COVID rules. And I must address this pressing question and issue, especially here in Canada and Ontario this week. Because I have gone over to people's homes. I have been invited by people, especially who do not follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And you know what the one question they all ask me? Are you vaccinated? They want to know that before I'll be let in the door. It just got really quiet in the room. <laughs> it's 
especially as we face this vaccine passport, the new law going into effect on Wednesday. How are we going to live this out? Here's where I am on this issue. This is this John Stair speaking. And then I'm going to give you some Bible why I've made this decision. I would get vaccinated just to see one person come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I think this is the principle behind Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 9.22. Here it is up on the screen. I have become, Paul says, all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Some of you are worried about the vaccine and harming your body. And that could happen. Maybe you fear dying or you, what you consider worse, maybe turning into a vegetative state and be a burden to your family. That could happen, maybe. We don't know. We don't know what, what underlying conditions you have. But I want to tell you, isn't the risk worth it? I'm not talking to those people whose doctor says not to do this, but isn't, isn't it worth it to take some risk for the sake of the gospel? Laying down your life for Christ to share with others, to become a modern-day martyr, if you want to put it that way. Because Jesus laid down his life for others. So whatever it takes, because, again, Jesus did whatever it took to save you and to save me. Short time I have left to speak. Let's take a look at the elements of showing hospitality. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. And the first element I see in showing hospitality is you need to create margin. Look at verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Think about that. Do you feel like the world is coming to an end? Doesn't it feel closer than ever? We must be then self-controlled and keep our head in every situation. And I label this margin. You have to create space by limiting yourself and saying no to some good things for the sake of the best, which is time for people. I'm preaching to myself today. And our self-control and sober-mindedness has an important goal in mind. Time for prayer and our prayers not being canceled out by sin. This is why we can't ever use the excuse, I was too busy to pray. We must make time. Otherwise, our prayers would be canceled out by sin. Rosaria Butterfield explains this. Practicing radically ordinary hospitality necessitates building margin time into, that, the, the, into the day, time where regular routines can be disrupted, not destroyed. This margin stays open for the Lord to fill, to take an older neighbor to the doctor. Some of you are great at this. To babysit on the fly, to make room for a family displaced by a flood or a worldwide refugee crisis. Living out radically ordinary hospitality lives leaves us with plenty to share because we intentionally live below our means. So having margin requires self-control and sober-mindedness. Margin. In order to show hospitality, you have to have margin in your life. 
This leads me to the second element of showing hospitality. We not only need margin, but we need mercy. Isn't this what we read in verse 8? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Wrapped up in that is forgiveness. Now, there's, a, there's a, an ancient Italian proverb that I, my father-in-law taught me. And uh, it goes like this. A guest is like a fish. After three days, he what? He stinks, right? <laughs> Overlooking offenses is something that I'm still growing in. But wise people do this, according to Proverbs 19.11. And maybe this is what we need to do. There's going to be some times that our guests do some things that we don't like. That's really different. Can we love them still? Maybe this is what this thought will be a consolation to you. Know that someone is spared another spiral binge of pornography or another sin because he is insist, instead playing connect four with you or walking the dog or jumping on the trampoline or you fill in the blank. You've made time for people and you've showed mercy to people. Margin and mercy. Showing hospitality creates creates both margin and giving mercy. But the last element of showing hospitality is this. And I know it's not a word. I made it up. Mur being murmurless. Being murmurless. Murmur, you know that. Mm. I'm going to show hospitality, but I don't really like it. <laughs> That's what verse 9 warns. Showing hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's the last part of the verse that's the hardest. And we discover that even Jesus' friends struggle with this. Turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And we're going to find the story of Martha and Mary. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 and 42. And this is what we read in the Gospels here. Luke 10, 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will be not taken from her. Do you notice how Martha got like an A plus on welcoming Jesus into her house? She probably got an A plus on the food. But then she got a C on actually spending time with her guest, which just happened to be her creator and Lord Jesus Christ. I know I can easily fail to spend time with a person when I'm trying to serve them. However, we must be, seek to spend time with our guests. And one way to lower the stress is to share the responsibilities. Husbands, we need to be sensitive to our wives' energy level. Think of, of running a marathon. The key to running a marathon is to value a slow and steady pace. And when two people train to, uh, for a marathon together... Apparently, the slowest runner sets the pace. The same is true for the husband-wife team in hospitality. The pace is set by the one who feels the most 
weak and frail, whether that's the husband or the wife. Friends, the scripture is clear that we must show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And that's why our staff actually this week developed a hospitality challenge. And I thank you to Tara Hoyt who is leading the charge on that. And, and we actually have a special gift for you if you said you wanted to be a host to try to make it a little easier. You can pick that up after the service out in the lobby. I just want to thank you. Thank you for welcoming guests. Whenever I talk to people who say, boy, your church is friendly. I just want to commend you for how great a job you've done with that. Let's take it to the next level and now just not be friendly, but have friendships as we show hospitality because Christ showed hospitality for us. I began with telling the story of God's overcoming Terry's fear of hospitality. I really believe that showing hospitality can transform people's lives. I quoted Rosaria Butterfield a lot in this sermon. And the thing that impacted me the most was that Rosaria was a former lesbian and professor of queer theory. And you know what won her to Christ? Was that a pastor and his wife invited her and her partner over to her home and they had dinner frequently. And she could ask all the questions she could she wanted to, and they loved her and her partner. My friends, what would happen if we took the risk of showing hospitality to others? We cared for others. Jesus took the risk for us. Let's pray. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for showing hospitality to me when I was your enemy and cared for me. Your son Jesus actually laid down his life so that myself and, and others listening here today, Lord, us, we are a result of the great hospitality that you've shown to us. So God, would we, um, as your children, show that same hospitality to others? Would we invite people to the table? Would we call them to, to live in such a way that, um, that they would feel loved, that would break down bar walls and barriers of hostility, God, and do so in a way that really brings you glory? And we pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen and amen.